Welcome to Casa de Cambio. On this episode of Casa de Cambio, I am delighted to be joined by Tanya Meesman. Welcome, Tanya. Thanks, Tash. Great to be here. How's your week going? Really well. Really busy, but really well. We've come obviously off the back of that little quick Queensland shutdown that we mm-hmm. had, the, low, uh, the COVID shutdown. Um, but yeah, I think we're all sort of moving our way forward now. So yeah, how are you going? Good. Love to see it. Um, And we're here today to talk about female participation in STEM. But before Mm -hmm. we get into that topic, there's a couple of questions I ask all the guests who come on to Casa de Cambio. And the first one is, what are you currently watching, reading or listening to? Oh, my goodness. I I had to prepare for this question. And I thought, (laughs) oh, God, I don't have any time to do any of those things. But my husband and I, who have absolute opposite end of the spectrum tastes in anything uh the one show we found that we can sit together and watch is actually game of thrones and we've watched the whole thing already once but i said Mm. to him look i do feel like this this is you know causing a rift in the fact that we can't even sit and watch tv together so let's just watch it again so we are (laughs) most of the way through season two for the second time of game of thrones Uh, but look it's also good sort of just brain turning off and stuff and if anything i think watching something that has so much repeated trauma in it really helps you put into perspective the irritating things that happen on your day-to-day life and you go we well, you know what at least i'm not you know a villager who gets invaded by one of the armies of the seven kingdom and then it just i haven't to get through signed your day. up to be a watchman on the wall for, and then <laughs> i'm just stuck on this wall for the rest of my life exactly so you know it helps with perspective but then the other shout out i guess i wanted to give was i haven't had a chance to listen to very much of her lately um but i've seen that she's brought out a new book um, about leadership and that's Holly Ransom and and I'm a big fan and I did listen to a lot of her Coffee Pods podcast that she brought out last year, year before, and um, there's, she's just such an incredible facilitator and she has amazing guests and, and wonderful episodes on that. So Coffee Pods is one that I really mm-hmm. love going and discovering new ones. And then Brisbane Locals, those two girls, so um, Lisa and Sarah, uh, they've just re- released their 40 it's called 40 I'm not yet 40 so technically I'm probably not allowed <laughs> to listen to it but I have been listening because I love the girls and they've also brought out half to noons which is lots of fun so that's sort of that nice like Holly makes you think and then the girls give you permission to just have a bit of fun fodder yeah so that's about it I don't really have time to read anything these days other than I'm... endless amounts of diversity and inclusion documents I've been terrible at reading this year I am mm. still going on a book it's been all year and it's mm. July mm. and I've got mm. a couple of chapters left and I find when I, when I go on holiday, I can rip through books, mm. but for mm. some reason I don't read them when I'm at home and mm. yeah. And I'm, and I've got a big pile of books and there's more books that I want to buy and read, but I'm kind of mm. like, no, don't, but you've still got all these other books that you haven't yeah. read. Yeah. Actually, you know, that now that you've just said that, cause I thought to myself, God, you know, I have a four year old and a six year old or six and a half. And so reading my own you know, grown-up novels went out the window um, the minute that they came along. However, it was just as you were saying that about going on holiday and things that I thought to myself, my eldest is now at the age where we are making our way through Roald Dahl books. And while I do a majority of the reading, I I do get him to read sort of the first page of every chapter so he practices. But I guess I'm sort of still, because I read so many books when I was young and even in through my 20s, I read a lot of books, a lot. Mm. Um, and I, I don't think I realized that I am actually still getting my fix now, one chapter at a night, um, yeah. of reading, you know, we just finished the BFG. We're about oh. to start on Matilda. I used to uh, love we, those books so much when I was a kid. Yeah, they they yeah. were my favorites. Yeah. And we, we discovered David Williams who, you know, is kind of my, now my son's version of like his own Eaton Blyton or whatever you would consider. Mm-hmm. Um, so we read about three of his books. So I am still getting that um novel injection but now it's it's re-looking back at when I was a kid and introducing my children to that stuff now oh I love that that's wonderful (laughs) and I love that it's rolled down because yeah I was obsessed and I was yeah a voracious reader as a child as well Mm -hmm. and I I feel like this last however long we've been in you know COVID normal Mm. COVID whatever I've gotten into a really bad habit of watching tv Mm-hmm. And I never used to be a TV watcher and I, ne- mm-hmm. I think I need to do some work because yeah. I finished work and then I just watch TV because yeah. I used to go and do stuff every night. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I did hardly watch TV at all. And now, yeah, yeah, it's this terrible habit. And I think I need to, I think that's part of it. Yeah, absolutely. 
Oh, anyway, the other there question is <laughs> a bit of musing on COVID habits and reading. Um, the other question is what was the best piece of career advice you ever received? I've been thinking about this one as well and I'm going to cheat a little bit because it was actually in grade 12 that I was given this advice. So mm-hmm. I don't know that it's pertains specifically to career, but I, it is a piece of advice I have applied throughout my career as well, <clears throat> I would say. And it was my physics teacher who was tutoring me because I was not as natural as I would have liked to have been in physics. And I was thinking about going for a scholarship to get to Bond University because we mm-hmm. couldn't afford to go full price. And, um, and I was sort of saying to him, oh, you know, there's no point applying. Um, mm. There's going to be all these other smart people. Why would they take some small girl from small girl, some girl from small town, Yapoon? Um, and why would I, you know, I'm not even in with a shot. <clears throat> and he said to me, if you don't apply, the answer is no. Yeah. And it's a simple piece of advice we see bandied about in a lot of different ways, shapes and forms. But the idea is, if you don't even ask, you have already made the answer no. Mm. You can still ask and the answer will be no. Yeah. But there's at least a chance it'll be yes. Yeah. And that really was tiny, but this is back in the 90s. You know, we didn't have social media. We didn't have all of these nice little quotey tiles going around in front of us all the time. <laughs> and it certainly sat with me and I sort of went, oh, right. So I did and I did. I applied and I got it and I went to Bond. And so that just was that has sat with me. So anytime I'm now faced with those types of decisions and it can be something as big as, you know, should I start a a second business or not? Um, Or should I just call up and see if someone will host a a breakfast for us at some place? If you don't ask, the answer is no. So I I have very much utilized that throughout my journey. That's amazing. I love that. And I think yeah, that's one that really resonates with me because I've got a saying that's from the movie Strictly Ballroom. I don't know All if right. you remember that movie. Yeah. <laughs> and it's um, a life lived in fear is a life half lived. And I think if you, yeah, the whole don't ask, don't get, you've got to get in the arena, which is a yeah. brand brown. But it's like if you just let fear rule your decision making, then it is a no because yeah. you're too scared to try and you're too, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think you do need to get out there and particularly for women as well. Mm. Um, yeah. Maybe are we. <laughs> I don't know why we're programmed that way, but we tend to be a bit more, oh, no, nah, no, nah, I, I won't, no, nah, I won't be successful. I, I might as well just not try. I think it's so, it's that as well as I think it's our, we do have a habit of overanalyzing the what ifs and we kind of go in with the sort of like, well, what if this happens or what if that happens and, and mm. what's this going to mean? And we analyze it. Whereas I think that um, potentially, uh, and this is huge, broad generalizations, which is what we're going to do a lot of today. <laughs> but, um, you know, potentially men and males are a little bit more instinctive and they go, I think this thing, and they go do, and then, yeah. you know, figure out I the consequences. Yeah. Whereas I think with, with us, sometimes we do have a habit of sitting and analyzing and making sure that all the outcomes are going to be okay. Whereas I think one thing that I've become one thing that really set me up for certain levels of success that I've achieved has been developing this instinctive um, response mechanic or this instinctive, I'm just going to say yes and get in and do it and then figure out what, you know, problems or barriers I come across as I'm doing it, as opposed to having all the answers before I say yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Good. I love that. I love that. Um, Look, it drives a lot of people in my world crazy, but you know, they learn to live with it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great advice. I think for anyone who's um, potentially doing something that seems a bit hard, just start. Just start. Yeah, yeah. You'll work it out. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's a really good segue into our topic for today, which is female participation in STEM. So Mm. you are the CEO of a business called Unique You that you've started up, which Mm -hmm. is all around encouraging and promoting female participation in this industry. So the first question I wanted to ask you was based on the work that you've done and what you've learned, what do you think would surprise us to know about the next generation of young women who are coming through hopefully into the STEM roles in the STEM industry? Yeah, so... So for anyone who doesn't know, I work with um, high school aged students predominantly. So my, my previous, well, my current other organization that I run, Girl Shaped Flames, um, deals in confidence development for high school girls. And that that, that has now born a sort of sister company in, in Unique You. 
And so Unique You itself is focused on girls that are in grades nine through 12 and um, and then almost sort of their, their female counterparts that are already out in the industry um, that are working professionally as well. And I think that, you know, firstly, all of the data and all of the statistics show us um, the challenges that we face in trying to, well, even just the fact that the girls aren't there at the moment. They, they, We've historically had such a challenge of getting girls to choose the science subjects, stick with the science subjects, and then follow that through into science further study, and then follow that through into science employment, and then follow that through into staying employed in science and not leaving mm. it. And by I'm broad, again, I'm using the term science, I mean STEM, so with respect to technology, engineering, and mathematics. Um, <clears throat> so with we, we know all of that and we, we know the numbers are not moving fast enough in the way that they need to in order for us to meet the future jobs demands and, and that, that the world globally that we need because of the way that um, STEM has increased its prolific presence in our modern day world, um, that intensity of growth has not been met with an intensity of, of matching of skills and and um, and interest levels, uh, even just across both men and women, but then now even when we break it down into into females, it's even more dire. So I guess we what might be something that surprises everyone, or at least something that I think we miss because we we. We're, it's easy for us to go into the negative thinking, oh gosh, you know, there are, where are all the girls and there's no girls and it's so hard and they're all dropping out even once they get into the STEM roles, they drop out later to have families and so on and so forth. But some of the positive things is that the generation that I have been interacting with for the last four or five years, they are smart yeah. and they are determined and they are passionate and they are inquisitive and they respond really well to female role models. They want to change the world. They want to make a difference. Um, they they want to participate in their worlds. And that's all good stuff. That's great. So we know that we have a generation who can do it and in some ways are very motivated to do it. Where I think we know the challenges and a lot of the challenges lie um, is, and interestingly, it harks back to what I do in my other organization with Girl Shape Flames around confidence, is mm-hmm. that one of the one of the strongest barriers, there are two key, 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 key barriers, and we've, again, we've seen this in a lot of research, that prevent girls um, entering into and pursuing and staying in STEM roles. And um, one of those is confidence. And that feeds secondly into the ne- the other barrier, but one of them is confidence in general, in the in this belief that they can do something, and that if they do it, it will turn out well and it'll turn mm. out right. Now, one of the it, well, arguably the greatest impacting factor that is happening in our modern day on that confidence is social media and interactivity through technology and also information overload. Let's not we can't just put it all on social media. There is a level of information overload that's also um, crippling sort of their their mm-hmm. ability to see a road forward. Yeah. <clears throat> so what we have is we do have girls, I believe, that are passionate and they and they want to consider different pathways, but they are held back by an immense confidence challenges that they face. They are scared of failing that's one of the biggest ones in girl shape flames mm. i work with a neuroscientist and, and we've, we've sort of devised these four key fears that girls are experiencing and one of them is fear of failure um which plays a big role in in stem because we're talking about things that um are they're right and wrong based in based learning areas right so science it's exploratory and you want to discover new things but they things either work or they don't work mathematics right or wrong tech coding either works or it doesn't engineering things either work or they don't so all of them come with this embedded sense of you know failure and we can talk to the cows come home about how failure is just growth and failure is about learning and la 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 which it is but to a 14 13 11 year old girl failure is failure Mm. and it feels yucky and it feels as though everyone's looking at you and at a time when they're growing through this they don't want anyone looking at them because Mm. they just want to exist in their own little private bubble so confidence is one of these these key kind of barriers that's 
preventing the girls moving forward. But then also something that has been coming to light for me in recent years to a very concerning degree is a lack of the girls being able to connect with, I guess, connect with and feel confident also about the subjects themselves. Now, I, I deal with thousands of girls every year through, mm-hmm. you know, our school stuff and our camps and everything. And it's a frightening frequency that I hear them refer to how much they hate math, how bad they are at math, how hard it is, how silly it is, how useless it is. And then you'll get it also, if, if the girls don't have a level of interest in science, you get the same attitude towards science. It's hard. Yeah. I don't understand it. I yeah. can't do well at it. Tech, I mean, I was at a school the other day doing a presentation for the grade 10s who are about to do a three-day careers event uh, held by the school. So there was about 100 girls there. And I was just asking them casually what kind of industries do they think they might go into. And I asked about tech. One girl put up her hand. And I spend a good full 60 seconds walking around the room and go, anyone else? Anyone else? Do you realize tech means this and tech means that? (laughs) And it was one person. And I thought, oh, goodness, you know. And, again, it's it's about I think there's a real challenge in contextualization in mm. that we have to be doing better at contextualizing what does math lead towards what does oh, science lead towards what does tech lead towards you want to change the world you want to save the great barrier reef or whatever i can tell you right now the way they are doing that is through technology yeah they're doing yeah. it through and innovation yeah they're innovating and they they're using even mathematics and and so what we we hopefully and i know there are organizations out there doing an incredible job of helping um girls and boys but helping contextualize stem for what that really means but i do think that there is an embedded attitudinal issue that we have when it comes to mathematics oh, science you know what tech. that was really speaking to me cuz i was that person when mm. i was at school like i was like oh maths is hard oh mm. i don't like it um and at school, I always, I had this thing, I wanted to be an economist. And oh, yeah. That never happened. Um, and I, and you, do, tell, you need like a touch of math to be an economist. Well, this just is, say now. Yeah, so I did high school economics and I was great at that, mm. um, really excelled at that. And then when I went to uni, so I did, um, I did a international studies degree, which is like politics. And I also mm. did a business degree and I majored in economics and econometrics and it's all maths. Mm-hmm, <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, I started uni and was just like, oh my God, nobody told me this was going to be all maths. And I just had to um, deal. I had to yeah. deal and do, and and it took, like, it was so hard mm. and it took me, I think all the econometrics and statistical analysis stuff, it was probably my third year where I started going, oh my God, I finally get it. And it's amazing. Mm. Um, but yeah, like I really struggled. Um, with all of those mathematical subjects and went, oh. Mm. <laughs> oh. And can you remember why though? Like what was what was happening for you? And I'm biased because I actually am quite good at math. And so I can, it's always been hard for me to understand um, that side of the coin. But then lots of my friends were not good at math. But for you, like what do you think would have helped you back in high school? Um, that's a really good question. I think I'm trying to think back. I remember like when I was choosing my year 12 subjects, I did business maths and mm. my parents were pushing me a lot to do, you know, pure maths, but mm. I didn't want to because I didn't want to risk my marks mm. because mm. I thought I had barely scraped through year 11 pure maths, whatever mm. it was called at the time. Mm. Um, and I thought I don't want to risk getting a bad grade because I don't understand maths. So I'm going mm-hmm. to do business maths and get a good grade. Mm-hmm. So that was, I was trying to be really strategic about my year 12s. Cause you know, when you, it seems so dumb now, but mm. you know, when you're in year 12, like everything's about oh, your yeah. mark and getting oh, into yeah. uni and blah, blah, blah. It's so silly. Yeah. Um, but also I, I really didn't like it. And reflecting probably the teachers had a lot to do with it because if I think Mm. about the subjects that I chose and did really well in I had really good teachers Mm. that Mm. explained things in a way that was really engaging Mm. and maths and science you know and probably part of it was definitely to do with my attitude Mm. Um, but yeah I did really yeah what did I do I think I was I always did well like economics English Mm. um, business maths accounting I did accounting I did really well at that 
Um, so what I think would be interesting there, and I know we're going on a little bit of a tangent here, <laughs> but what you've said that you're good at aside from the teachers is what I would argue to be contextualized mathematics. Hmm. So accounting and business contextualizes math it puts it into some sort of a situation that you can go oh okay I get it yeah Yeah. whereas when you're sitting down around trying to get you know I did I did advanced math and regular math and physics because you know why not um look I took I took drama that balanced it out but you know when you're learning about Figaro's patterns and stuff like that and you're sitting there going why why do I care about this why does it cause sine tan I'm never going to use again Mm. so that's what I mean by I think if we I'm I am hopeful that there there are cogs that are turning that are addressing how young people engage with um, these areas of learning to Mm. contextualize them so that yeah. it's not just as we all learned it, which is you just have to learn it because it's in the textbook and you have to learn it. But yeah. instead it does get contextualized. And a lot of the best yeah. teachers do that naturally. They'll take the textbook and then they'll contextualize it for the student and that's yeah. how they learn. And case studies in real yeah. life. Yeah. What so I'd gonna... argue that, okay. that well, that, that's kind of what, what plays into just circling back to the, the point, I guess, it was just that plays <laughs> into where well, we went on a fun ride there. It plays into that confidence is that if the girls um, that we're talking about today, you know, if they don't feel that they understand something, then their confidence levels are lower. And there there are very few people on the face of the planet who would look at a situation and go, oh, I'm really low in confidence in that I'm going to pursue it. Yeah. So we just know that we're already starting from a place of an uphill battle. We mm. can we can moan about how we don't have enough, um, you know, girls going into graduate programs and this and the next thing, mm. but we actually have to rewind all the way back yeah. um, into, uh, well, for me, I think that the, the key point is in high school. I know that there's a lot of good work being done for STEM engagement in primary school. And once again, that is that is a beautiful point in time to be, starting to layer this contextualization so that they understand mm. their world better. It's almost mm. like starting with the broadness of the world and breaking it down to the mathematical and science concepts. Whereas then when you're in high school, you're starting at the concepts, uh, the, you know, the, the, t- the t- uh, tasks essentially. Um, and then you're, you're building them up to show how they impact the world the other way around almost, yeah. which is a bit more smarter. So I think circling all the way back to the question um, <laughs> around what would surprise us to know about them. I think that, I think that that is surprising to some to find out that that underneath what seems to be mistaken as a generation of um, apathetic potentially or disengaged or can't be bothered kind of generation, which is what we can sometimes write them off as um, because of the way that they operate these days, it's a mistake to do that because they are engaged. They are, um, or they, they do want to be engaged. They, they want to make a difference. And where I see that coming to fruition has been all the events I've done up until now with Girl Shaped Flames, where the whole premise of Girl Shaped Flames is connecting teenage girls mm-hmm. with strong, positive female role models. What we see is when we do connect the girls with female role models and their confidence can increase because they, they, they see their world being contextualized. They see their potential future. They understand the journeys that have been taken and the obstacles that have been overcome in order to get there. We, um, they can build up that that inner confidence themselves, which then lets them consider these pathways in much more uh, of a serious fashion uh, than if they left their own, own devices. So the power of role modeling, I think, has been an enormous a half for me over the last four or five years for this generation in particular, because remembering their access to role models is on their tiny little devices and on the social media. Now the problem is those role models, um, we don't have any way of, we don't have any way of curating them for the girls. So they are open to any kind of role model that comes their way, uh, which is not always good or positive role models. Um, They're inundated with them and it's, and yet what's difficult, what's, What's wrong with that situation, there's many things wrong with that situation, but one of the key things that's wrong with it is because they they are not directly connected to those role models, they can't have a conversation with them or meet them or, or you know, see them in a rea- real situation. Yeah. It means that um, they're being influenced and impacted by something that they don't understand or have 
the real story behind. Yeah. So when we can think critically about. Mm. Yeah. So when we can connect them with real life, real women, strong, positive, female Mm. role models, you know, that's when they start to be impacted by good role models and, and, and in a positive way. Um, that sticks with them. It's it's stickier almost. If a girl will have a conversation, she could follow loads of pilots. Let's say she's super excited about being a pilot. She can follow them all on Instagram and have all their pretty photos in the cockpit and all the rest of it. But she gets to actually sit and have a chat with a pilot. Mm. That is the that's the experience that is going to stick with her and is going to impact her. Yeah, that yeah. was the world's longest response to a single question. <laughs> But I feel like we covered a lot. Podcast. That's that's the de- that's the deal. The that's how it works. <laughs> um, no, that was a great answer. Um, and oh, following on from that, I wanted to ask you, what are some things that employers and managers in STEM industries could do to attract more women to their teams mm. or companies? <clears throat> Well, look, for anyone listening, I don't think it will come as any surprise when you hear me say, start earlier, start earlier, you need to start, um, you know, obviously I'm focused on high school, unique, you is specifically focused on grade nine through 12, but we have systemic issues early, early on in education um, and in our um, uh, training and exposure to young people to all of these different pathways. So you need to find ways to be getting in front of them, building up your brand awareness, building up your company understanding. Um, you need to be exposing them to, to female role models that, that you have within your own company. Um, and, and that's something that has to be addressed, not just from mm. a from a from their own company um, uh, imperative, but from a whole of industry imperative. So we, we need to be lifting these things on industry levels. Beyond that, um, I certainly, I guess my key things are always about visibility as per that whole connecting girls with role models. Visibility is key because um, I know that it's a, it's become a cliche. It was groundbreaking when it first came out, but the idea of if she can see it, she can be it. I don't like taking it too literally because you I do think You can't be what you can't can, see. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I look... I don't I actually don't use the flip side of that because I do think you can be what you don't see. However, okay. the 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 positive angle of it of if she can see it, she can be it means that if you're giving someone the opportunity to visualize their own future in the same form as another person that they are seeing, I really believe in that power. I do believe that if we look at another person who is doing something or achieving something or in a status point of their journey that we would like to be and that we aspire to, the sheer act of seeing them there tells us it's possible and tells us we can move forward. It's up to us to do that inner work around confidence to make sure that we actually can get there and all those kinds of things. But we can at least see that the path has been trodden and, and it's there. So visibility is key. If, if you're in an organisation that doesn't have many women, you have to get them more visible within the organisation and outside. Um, and don't be tokenistic about it, obviously, yeah. but um, it is about making sure that by doing that visibility internally, you're reassuring all of the women internally about the presence of women and, and hopefully the right culture that is being um, created uh, for women within that environment. But then externally as well, you're telling future employees, look, we have women that work here. We have women in varying degrees of positions here. Hopefully you have women in leadership there. Um, and therefore uh, it's, you know, that is something that we really value and we'd love you to come and work here. So visibility, I think, is one of the most powerful things. Mm-hmm. The second thing that I was thinking about is um, really is about providing a, a real, again, not tokenistic, because unfortunately I think I think we're starting to come out of it now, but I would say over the past five to eight years as um, women's rights and, and gender equality all was sort of getting its heyday and, and, and it was doing a big sort of push, unfortunately, the the quick fixes were were all a bit tokenistic if you ask me you know we'd, we'd throw on a morning tea or we oh. would you know do something a little bit like yay women but really you know that that serves a little bit towards the visibility argument but you know it's a little bit of a blip in the blip in the ocean if you ask me yeah providing real opportunity to be heard to contribute 
and to collaborate, mm. that is what sets up um, not only an environment for existing employees to stay and to progress and to come back if they leave, but it also sets up um, a reputation externally that this is a company who doesn't just pop some women in here, there and everywhere and says, yeah, we've ticked our box, mm. but they are, they are on leadership teams or they're on committees or they're spearheading projects or whatever it is. That means that they are playing an actual contributing role to the business. And I think that's really important. Visibility, opportunity to be heard, contribute and collaborate. And then finally, lead by example and show commitment to actually addressing this. So Unique U, we are specifically specifically partnering with organizations across 10 industries that by actual statistical data are the 10 industries that have the lowest representation of women in Australia. Now that means that if we want to address that, and I feel like, you know, the grand majority of people have recognized the incredible uh, importance of, of um, gender, all equality, um, but mm. then gender equality in particular when it comes to um, the sizable difference that it can make and, you know, the financial and the economic difference it can make and so on and so forth and diversity of thought. So I think we're all, a lot of us are on the same page here. But to do that, we need people actually leading the way and we need people leading by example we need organizations and companies leading by example and committing and staying committed to that and look as someone who works in a space of you know I need to go and door knock on companies and say hey can you support what we're doing because we're making a difference and, and it's going to be significant but then they're also getting door knocked by 50 other people who are trying to do all the other diversities yeah. and yeah and all these other things so I understand that um there's everyone's sort of rallying for for attention and top spot but i do think that there needs to be across all different areas of diversity there needs to be organizations and people who are showing leadership in that space who are um obviously i'll give uh, an opportunity for a plug here but taking a chance on new initiatives who are out there trying to pave the way in new ways so unique you for example um is using technology for the first time to deliver uh, a really unique, excuse the pun, um, <laughs> career career advisory service specifically for high school girls in grades nine through 12. And so, you know, it's new because the education system hasn't been in a position to adopt uh, a technological service like this, a video calls based service mm. until we had to go through COVID in order to get the education sector up to speed so that they actually yeah. do now use video as a, as a, you know, a common thing. So now they're ready for something like Unique U. But we also ourselves, uh, as just one small example of organisations out there trying to continue to make a difference in this space, we need companies and leaders to um, to support that and to sh to show by example and to lead their way forward. Mm. So that's that's that visibility opportunity for the women to be heard, contribute, and collaborate, and lead by example. And once you're committed, stay committed and and see it through. Yeah, yeah, good. Good. And so what if you're the manager of a team? Like let's say you're a male manager or you could mm -hmm. be a female manager. Um, how do you do that at the team level? Like mm. what are some examples you could give to the listeners? Because I know a lot of men listen to the podcast. <laughs> Hi, man. <laughs> Welcome. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, I think it's, it's exactly as I just said, same thing but on yep. a small team level. So visibility. So, um, well, hire women. There's a good start. Have some women in your team. That's really good. Now, <laughs> there's always going to be an argument around quotas and best people for the job and things like that. So we obviously do want best people for the job. But again, yeah. there are systemic issues around um, opportunities to apply for jobs, to be considered for jobs, making mm -hmm. sure there's a diverse panel who are actually um, assessing the applicants and all those kinds of things. So get women on your team. That's great. Yeah. And then when they're there, ensure that uh, you know that they are visible that when there's opportunities for things to be presented to other groups or to boards or anything like that that you know women are also getting an equal amount of opportunity to to have those presentations and to make those presentations um and you know i think for all staff members you can always be highlighting their um ability and achievements and wins and things like that um so it's not about signaling singling out women and trying to give them special treatment but it's just don't 
forget about it because I think what happens is in the industries we're dealing in, we know statistically they are male-dominated, which means there are more men in the room than women. So unfortunately it's human nature to go, well, there's more men, so all the men are going to talk. And then um, unfortunately sometimes women get left a little bit by the wayside. So it is just that pausing the conversation going, hey, what do you think? And being able to turn the mic in that direction, which then leads on to that second thing that I was talking about, which is the opportunity to be heard, contribute and collaborate. Just make sure that that opportunity is being given and that if you do have any all-male circumstances, and I really like, I believe it was um, the Male Champions of Change organisation potentially put in the challenge around board, uh, around panels always mm. being 50-50 or, or at least, you know, 50-cent women, and that there are a number of Male Champions of Change now who won't actually sit on a panel or, or give a presentation yeah. if, it's, if it's less than 50% female. And I think things like that are also helpful because it does ensure that we're just keeping that little checks and balances going, well, hang on a second, are we actually asking for female perspective here? And like I said before, I don't believe it's about coming in and mandating across the board and saying everyone must be 50-50, you know, regardless of whether the women with the skill sets and stuff are there. But then we have to recognise why they're not there and we need to backtrack and go and address why they're not there, which brings me full circle back to high school. Yeah. (laughs) We really need to be doing that work early on. So um those are kinds of and then the final point I made I guess is is relevant within a team situation which is lead by example yeah show commitment yeah and I think there's a lot of ways that you can um ask the right questions and get the right people without using quotas yeah um because quotas seem to be very controversial um because it brings up the argument about merit like an example that's coming to mind is when I worked at Telstra they Mm. brought in a rule that 50 percent of all shortlisted candidates for every role had to be women. Mm. And if they weren't, um, you were hit with a please explain mm. and it mm. needed I've like a that, director yeah. or executive director sign off. Mm. Um, and that directly resulted in more women being hired, particularly in senior roles, because they yeah. studies show that if you, if women can get on the shortlist mm. and get to <clears throat> interview, they're very likely to get the job. It's just, yeah. It's actually a, putting the effort in to find them for mm, sure. I've heard going, that about mm, a number the of short other list companies is all men. With. Where are the ladies? I'd like I'd like to see some women's CVs as well, please. That's an, yeah. as a hiring manager. Yeah, that's all you have to say. Yeah, exactly. And I do. I know of one company that actually will, will delay the interview process until they have a certain percentage of female CVs for consideration. Doesn't mean they're quotering the the way that the eventual hires are going to happen, but it just means they have to be there to be considered. Yeah, um, and then. Yeah, that's the main thing. Yeah, and I think you touched on something else before around, you know, hiring women is one thing, but you've got to create like the right culture for women to stay and to thrive at an organisation because mm. if you're hiring women but they're all leaving, mm-hmm. you've got mm-hmm. to be like, okay, what, I'm trying to hire women. Why aren't mm-hmm. they staying and why aren't mm-hmm. they rising up the ranks and, mm-hmm. you know, why aren't I seeing, um, I guess, reaping, you know, I don't know what the word, the phrase is I'm looking for, but why am I not seeing the results of that work? You've yeah. got to look at, well, what are the other reasons that mm. women might not want to work here or they might not yeah. be attracted to this organisation or they may feel more comfortable at another organisation? Oh, yes. Because culture a... is a massive part of it too. Mm-hmm. Yes, when we turn the mirror on ourselves mm. and see what, mm. what's happening internally for that to be the case. And, look, I've personally I've witnessed because I work in with a lot of corporates um, with both of the organisations I run, I've seen a lot of very positive change in the last, I would say, three years, very positive change towards becoming a lot more um, aware of cultural challenges and and yep. and reasons you know we all i don't think it's brain science to anyone to say oh gosh we, we lose a lot of women once they hit middle management or once they hit that sort yep. of 30 to 40 year old stage and it's like well no duh they're off having kids however the olden days of off having kids meant that you leave the workforce and you have and raise your children and then maybe you dandy your way back in later whereas nowadays you know i i went back to work I know friends of mine have gone back to work within six to eight weeks of having bubs and I went back after my first for six months and I was birthing girl-shaped flames at the same time as my <laughs> second son, so I never really stopped work there. So I think, right, the tables are definitely starting to turn to go, our expectations are archaic as far as expecting that women are um, going to be able, well, sorry, first things, 
it, it's changed as far as our, our expectations of women in careers. And then also as women nowadays, there is a higher um, propensity for, for wanting to have a career and to pursue. Yes. But we also know that little ones are time consuming and they need mm. love and affection and, and time and things like that. So, so it's this, gosh, we're going to get into the whole world of, you know, how do you balance it all and all the rest of it. But now what I think is where I'm coming from is that positively workplaces and organizations are starting to see how can we adjust how we run work as a concept so yeah. that we can try to help with some of this balance. So we can yeah. try to have mothers and, and fathers getting to raise their children, but then also do their jobs, but a version of in some sort of parallel. Now, I don't think anyone has cracked the formula just yet, but oh. it's positive that that is where things are headed. And yeah. interestingly, another silver lining of COVID, potentially, I know there's studies going into the effectiveness of this whole work from home malarkey, but what that has brought about is an enforced moment in time when the when organisations need to genuinely consider how else could this job be done? Yeah. How flexibly well, could it be done? Female workforce people? participation has increased dramatically over the yeah. last year because women are now allowed to mm. work from home. That's mm. not special treatment. So yeah. that's that stat. I can't remember the exact percentage, but I remember reading it going, well, that's very telling. There were all mm. these women not participating in the workforce because they felt that they couldn't. Mm. And now that remote work is a thing, Mm. Yeah, or, or maybe they weren't living in Melbourne or Sydney or, per, you know, they weren't living yeah. in a CBD. Yeah. Maybe they're living out in, mm. I don't know, in Darwin or. <laughs> mm. So the accessibility has increased. Yeah, but yeah. It, it's a very telling statistic that, um, and, and also to what you said, like the way that our workplaces have been operating is based on a 1950s model mm. where the man goes into the work and the woman stays at home. Mm. And our whole society is still built like that, but it's, it's not like that. And so, like you said, something's got to give. Mm. Like we mm. now have both parents going into the workplace, but the expectations on parents and are still kind of revolving around that model of mm. having one parent at home managing the home and doing all of that work for free and that's mm. just not how mm. <laughs> not how it goes anymore so that's why it's there's a rub and it's kind of fundamentally broken and i think yeah what covid has done is actually made people go oh yeah that was dumb i mean mm. some people some people so a lot of senior managers and this is something that's really been grinding my gears that i've been seeing is like okay <laughs> everyone back to the office now and it's like well <laughs> that worked so well <laughs> i worked more hours for you <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And look, and that sort of brings about a whole nother kettle of fish around yeah. this whole remote working because it's a bit like, yeah, it's great that we're, we're ditching the commute and everything, but at the mm. same time we do have, we, everyone's now has to, has to start navigating work styles. Some people work much more effectively when they are in the presence of others and they stay on task better and they get better guidance and leadership and mentoring when they are physically in the presence of others. Other people work really well autonomously. They can get their stuff done. They can manage their priorities and all those kinds of things. So I think what yeah, we are we are now entering a time of adjustment, which will mm. be over the next couple of years to go, what is the balance between, because we're all still quite collaborative as a race. And so collaboration um, takes its form in different ways and different people collaborate in different ways. So yeah, it's, it's certainly, but I think, Interestingly, again, I'm going to wrap it back to this whole female thing, <laughs> is just that while the participation might be up, I also know of many industries, and the airline industry is one perfect example, where mm. so much progress that women in a very male-dominated space had been trying to make in the recent years has taken this enormous step back oh. because now we have a, an employment reset almost, mm. um, which then means that uh, we've now got a huge proportion of, of men all vying for these positions and the very, very small proportion of women vying for these positions and mm. there's less to go around. And so now we sort of have this issue and it's not just aviation, there's a few industries where now um, women are sort of uh, are at a disadvantage or at least we've, we've lost some of the traction that we were gaining when it comes to that, when suddenly there's a lot less work around and we were already struggling to try to get that 4% or that 8% representation or whatever it was, now the, the battle gets harder again. So I think it's just a time where, I, and I've, I've been having this conversation with a few corporates who are, who are looking at coming on board with us, where 
we know that resourcing is tied and budgets are tied and things are all feeling still a bit unstable and changing, but we can't take our eye off the ball here and we have yeah. to we have to keep this you know it's not a blip on international women's day that we pay attention to these things and we mm. have our lovely breakfasts and lunches and rah-rahs and then we all just go back to work um this is this is something that we have to be doing for um you know the the efficiency the economics the versatility of thought the dynamic of thought all the rest of it you know it's holistic in its impact so we have to keep um, gender equality and 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 women in these workplaces supported and and moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Could not agree. I'll jump more. off my soapbox for a second there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit more about Unique You and mm. what kind of companies you're working with and what kind mm. of partners you're looking for and how they can get in touch with you? Yeah, I would love to. So I've already mentioned it a little bit, but Unique U is now this not-for-profit sort of sister company to Girl Shape Flames. And what we are doing is we are looking to significantly increase the number of girls that both consider and then pursue pathways into industries that have been um, statistically recognized as underrepresented by women. So we are doing that through a new digital career advisory platform uh, called Unique U. And that platform will be made available uh, for schools across. The pilot will be based in Queensland to begin with, but we do have a three-year national rollout plan. And schools, career and guidance officers in particular, will be um, arranging 30-minute video calls for their female students in grades 9 through 12 uh, between the girls and women working in the 10 industries that we have identified um, using WGIA's data, the Workplace Gender Equality Agency, um, as well as, as adding in a couple of extras. So what we're really doing right now is we're right in the thick of development. We are building the tech, we are selecting the schools, and we are raising our funding. And being a not-for-profit, you know, we have certain funding models. And our model that we're currently working on, oh, that we are currently operating under is a, a sponsorship-based model. So we're bringing on foundational partners who are also recognising the need of addressing um, gender within their industries at a, at a very early pipeline stage. And that when they recognise that that's important and that they want to contribute to that, they also might have um, short-term ROIs where they might have uh, looking at high schoolers coming into their um uh, apprenticeship programs their trainee programs all those kinds of things um but then they also have that longer term view that we're trying to influence girls at a time when they are making key decisions about not only the subjects that they are taking but also their um post school studies pathways that they might be taking whether that's um in university or vocational education pathways and so on and so forth um but also they recognize the the, the organizations that are getting involved with us now recognize the importance of um, that visibility and opportunity for their own female staff members because each organization that comes on board gets to select at least five of their female uh, employees that work within the organization to be advisors on the other end of these video calls that the girls get to meet. So, you know, um, we've got national brands as well as um, Queensland-based organisations as well as interstate organisations. Um, the ones I can rattle off at the moment are, well, Urban Utilities was first first cab off the rank. Louise Dudley has been an enormous supporter of ours from the beginning and she um, really recognises the importance of pipelining from an early age um, for brands uh, that work in these spaces. So Urban Utilities, certainly um, Eureka um, uh, has also come on very quickly, SEQ Water on board, um, uh, Tesserant is Australia's largest cyber security company, uh, ASX listed cyber security company in Victoria. Cool. Oz Minerals was our, is our first mining company that is in South Australia. Um, and we have a whole selection of a raft of others that I will be allowed. You, you'll see on our LinkedIn that they'll get announced over time, but I've got a bunch yeah, of yeah. other sort of national brands at the park. Wow. So at the moment, what I'm really just looking for is I just want to speak to um, if any of what I've spoken about today resonates with organisations um, I would just love to speak to them about how they might be able to come and involve themselves with Unique You, connect 
their female staff members with our incredible um, girls in grade 9 through 12 across Queensland. Um, and like I said, the nationally over the next couple of years. And if they're interested in doing that, um, the other little little kicker is um, is an enormous amount of valuable data that we are going to have at our disposal because we'll be learning a lot about what happens with girls in this yeah. grade 9 to 12 period of time, educating the educators as well as finding out more about their own female staff members and what motivates them and what what is going to actually rocket them into leadership positions and things like that. So it's really, really exciting. I'm very proud of it and very thankful to our, the rest of the board that I work with in our advisory board and, and it's just really cool. So people can check it out at, I think that's your next question, is it? How they, how they can <laughs> find out about it. I'm just on a roll. <laughs> Tash, you, you stand down. You don't even down. need to be prompted. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> present. Like. Look, this is what happens when you interview another person who runs their own podcast as well because I have a podcast with Girl Shaped Flames that I run. So we got to wrap up with the contact information. Um, so <laughs> but basically we have a website which is uniqueu.com.au, but that is spelled U-N-I-Q-Y-O-U. Yeah, I'll make sure that that's included in the show notes. Yeah, and on everyone. that site, at the moment, it's very much geared towards our sponsors. And so you can go there as a sponsor and you can read about it and you can get in touch with me or, or our partnerships director, Lindsay. Um, but then, uh, yeah, and then we, we're developing the actual tech. I will take this opportunity to give a shout out to our tech partner, Schedulo, um, mm-hmm. who are fantastic. And they've been part of the Girl Shape Flames family for a number of years with Matt Fairhurst being an enormous supporter. And so, yeah, we... Um, yeah, we're going to be ready to rock and roll by November this year. Unreal. Pretty Unreal. Real. Well, Tanya, thank you so much for being thank a guest you. on Casa de Cambio and sharing all of those amazing insights and thoughts with us and the listeners. Yes. Uh, and we'll be back soon with another episode. But for now, goodbye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.